Welcome to today's event, the latest in Transportation Insights Digital Master Series. Today we're going to be talking about the revolution emerging around buy online, pick up in store, and the valuable role that is playing in an improved customer experience and, when managed correctly, reduced transportation costs. I'm Michael Willard on the marketing team at Transportation Insight. We've invited some of our supply chain masters to join us today. Before we turn it over to our subject matter experts, I want to remind our audience that we welcome your participation. Please submit your questions for our panelists in the GoToWebinar questions panel. We'll address questions at the conclusion of our presentation, which I'll now hand over to John Richardson. John has more than 20 years of experience working across multiple industries, identifying and executing supply chain cost and service improvements. He's been a logistics planning manager for Walmart, a senior manager for Chainalytics, and operated his own supply chain consultancy for years. Today, he's Transportation Insights Vice President of Supply Chain Consulting. He's our moderator for today's event, and he's going to begin our presentation with an introduction of our panelists. John? Hey, thanks, Michael. You know, here at TI, I'm, I'm lucky to work with some folks that, that have a lot of experience in this area of the industry. Um, but, but I'll kick it off by introducing Carl Fowler. He's our chief commercial officer and has more than 20 years of experience working in global supply chain management and specializing in strategic planning, project management, and global distribution and logistics. Um, he leads our efforts in support of our clients and, and our sales team. Uh, Carl? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, glad you could join us on today's webinar. Looking forward to talking about a very relevant topic as consumer buy patterns shift and retailers and suppliers look to shift to match that demand. We think that this is absolutely apropos and top of mind as organizations think about their supply chain and how to position it as we move into peak season and to, to the new year of 2021. Hey, thanks, Carl. So, so next up is Todd Binge. Uh, he can, is one of our deep uh, parcel experts with more than three decades of experience in the small package space, um, including 20 years spent at UPS. He's our vice president of parcel operations and has a unique ability to help uh, shippers navigate that complex world of the parcel environment. So, Todd. Thank you very much, John. We look forward to the BOPUS discussion today. Uh, very intriguing intriguing topic and uh, could be more pertinent. Thanks, Todd. And certainly, last but not least, uh, Sachin Verma. Uh, he's recently joined us as the Senior Director of Analytics and Strategy and brings two decades of experience uh, solving complex business challenges. And as say, he leads our supply chain analytics team. Sachin? Hey, thanks, John. And uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, looking forward to this uh, discussion and uh, uh, looking for some new ways to, you know, handle this uh, things. So, thank you. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll kick this off, Carl. I guess I'll throw the the kind of the first topic out to you. Why is uh, having a BOPUS strategy important these days? <clears throat> John, one of the things we're seeing as an impact to the the COVID pandemic is a change in the way that customers are buying, a fundamental shift in buy patterns. People are buying more online. I think that there's a ton uh, of information out there in the public sector relative to how that shift is manifesting itself. Uh, as Todd can attest, and we'll probably talk to you later, there's certainly an impact in that shift in the small package environment. And retailers are trying to find ways to maintain that, that connection and relationship with consumers in this environment where 
folks really just are, are a little concerned about walking into retail stores. Um, and the, about this, a, a buy online, pick up in store strategy allows for that connectivity with the customer. It gives customers different options uh, to receive, uh, you know, receive the products and goods that they purchase. And it also provides a different level of, uh, and a different way of connecting into that customer base as business conditions continue to evolve. When deployed correctly, it also puts uh, both uh, a supplier and a retailer in a position to buttress against supply chain disruption in other areas. So we know that the back, the backroom storage capabilities in retailers today continues to shrink. SKU levels continue to proliferate and online retailers continue to fight for market share and wallet share and attention of today's buyers. We know one of the things that they're looking for is convenience. And with the Amazon effect, it's trained and conditioned people to behave and buy a little bit differently. And when you couple that with the, you know, with the uncertainty that the global pandemic has interjected into retail supply chains, a solid BOPIS strategy is another way to provide value to, you know, to a customer base that's looking for different types of buying experiences. Yes, I mean, you know, somewhat, BOPIS isn't new. You know, retailers are starting to get into it prior to uh, the COVID outbreak. So, you know, Sachin, do you, do you think that um, this is going to continue to be a, a staple in how we deliver product to, to consumers? Absolutely, John. I think this is... Um, as I was thinking about this topic for a long time, I think it's it's a great evolution in supply chain. And what this has done is, I believe, is it, it has created a win-win situation both for the, the customers and customers as well as for the shippers, right? Uh, if, if we look into the, uh, you know, uh, a holistic view, in the past, the shippers has to, you know, pick the product and, you know, develop the e-commerce strategy and try to ship the product to the end customer. And we all know, and thought can you know later on add more flavor to this. Residential delivery setup for you know small shipments is is still not fully you know matured. It's a process that is coming along, and and companies like FedEx and and you know UPS they are growing and they are trying to handle those things. But in the meantime, if we are able to get the customer to the midway to pick the shipment and give us an opportunity to sell another product. It's a great experience, right? Shipper is saving some money on the on the cost at the same time getting an opportunity for the customer to you know buy something and customer is getting an opportunity to save on the product cost because shipper is having less cost. So I think this this will grow and it will grow in in many different ways. Uh, you know, like the pioneers like what <clears throat> I think this was initially started mainly with with Walmart and handful of big retailers. And, and a big question that may come later on is how it is going to handle the, you know, for small retailers, right, who have regional presence or who may have online presence. So how they can, uh, you know, take advantage of this model. And that's something, you know, we, may, we will try to touch in this topic, but, you know, we can definitely take that offline too and, and discuss in more detail. But, but to answer your question, this, this, is, this is a game-changing strategy, and I think this will become a staple going forward. John, to to your point, uh, buy online, pick up in store isn't isn't new, but it, it's it's a the term is relatively new. But for years we've heard that we've heard omni-channel distribution, 
And that was the buzzword, what, about five years ago, gentlemen? Everything was going omni-channel. And this is really just uh, a facet of that omni-channel distribution uh, uh, notion that, that started to gain traction around that time. It's just a different facet of it. It's a different way to support the user experience, uh, more, uh, more than it is a different way to distribute using traditional brick-and-mortar uh, retail outlets. So while it's been around a while, the notion isn't necessarily new or novel. What is interesting and what is gaining traction is the, is the frequency and the prevalence across multiple retail outlets. So buy online, pick up in store, you, you could do this for like treadmills and furniture. And, you know, for those of us that have been around a while and remember service merchandise, certainly even ties back to kind of that business model. But what's different is now you can pick up pick up shoes uh, or food um, or in a, or or uh, you know tractor belts or an alternator for the family sedan. So the prevalence of this concept has expanded across that retail footprint, and it's impacted a wide swath of suppliers. And what we've seen is oftentimes supply chain as, as supply chains as Sachin has alluded to especially for the smaller retailers or the smaller suppliers shipping into those retailers. Uh, this wrinkle has created uh, some, some real challenges relative to how their supply chains functions, function in practicality. And as we continue to see this trend grow, that, uh, that disruption we think is only going to continue, but we think from a consumer perspective, uh, it's certainly here to stay. Yeah. And to add to your point, uh, Carl, you made a very good point that, uh, you know, it's, it's customer experience, right? Uh, and there are a lot of studies have been done recently. Um, I think I was reading one from uh, Bain or someone, and it shows like, you know, how the customers are liking this experience because, you know, people people are getting to a point where they're sitting their home, but they need to get an opportunity to go out, right? And and getting into this way, it's, it's a win-win situation for uh, for all. You know, one of the big things that you're seeing really transform, and, and Carl, you, you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about service merchandise and a lot of the characteristics of the items that were uh, picked up in those days. Due to the changes in which, in regarding the uh, carrier's in, uh, increase in cost to deliver these items, they've added many different surcharges those, to those particular items and making it very expensive for home delivery. One of the areas and one of the areas that retailers are going to make out are the ones that take advantage of driving that kind of product to an in-store pickup, a BOPUS pickup, so that they can reduce the expense for them to move the item. And even if it is a, a low turning uh, skew, the beauty of using small packages, you could still utilize an environment to deliver a commercial stop, take advantage of the uh, costing and the pricing that goes along with it, and also being able to set it up into the world of a hundred weight slash multi weight type of move, which allows the the retailer to actually have a very cost advantageous offering to support focus. And so, it's all comes down to just mode utilization and optimization. Where does small package end, LTL begin, and where does LTL end and truckload begin? So it's a, it's a, it's all hand in hand. Well, Todd, you make a good point around you know the, the skew velocity. We all know that the storage shelf, uh, the storage space on a shelf in a retailer is that's prime real estate. So how do you accommodate 
skew proliferation at a time where retail footprints aren't growing, they're shrinking. One of the ways that you do that is to take that skew inventory and you find a way to channel those, slow, those slower moving SKUs into that retail footprint uh, that doesn't require the use of much shelf space. So it gives retailers and suppliers an opportunity to service the need for some of those slower moving, moving SKUs out of a centralized distribution node, uh, maintaining the proper footprint of inventory in the store for their class A and class B fast movers, and still provides that an excellent experience for clients our customers and the uh, through their retail uh, relationships and having access to a broader SKU footprint than what would normally be available. So we see that the benefit, uh, not just to the consumer having access to more of the product portfolio for that retailer, but also to the retailer in making sure that they can manage the customer experience for things that they might not traditionally carry on shelves in quantity. Yeah, and, and I want to dig into that a little bit more, but before I do, Sachin, you brought up something a minute ago, and, and I'd be totally remiss if, if I didn't give Todd a, an opportunity to talk about it. Um, you know, Todd, what is happening with carrier capacity right now, you know, on that uh, residential delivery side, and, and how is that kind of playing into what the uh, carriers are doing? It's a it's a great question, and it is a uh, time not seen before. Uh, basically, if you, you go back 15 years and you take a look at the carrier's network, you'd see a, a network that was more about 25% residential delivery and about 75% commercial, and that's pretty much what they were set up to be balanced by. Now, obviously, the six weeks of uh, Christmas peak, those you would see that, obviously, you know, get the uh, apple cart kicked over and they would go to a much more residential but they were they were geared for it they planned for it and then therefore by planning for it they were able to handle it now let's go into covid prior to covid um, in 2019 just because e-commerce had increased so much in our world of home delivery with the onslaught of home or what was considered free delivery that idea has pushed so much home delivery into the network in 2019, they were about 50-50. Now let's look into COVID. Now COVID came, nobody expected COVID, and now we're over 70% of the route delivery is residential. That makes it very difficult for the carriers to, to be able to dispatch. They did it without having any notice, so planning was not obviously in place. Nobody had this kind of emergency plan in place. So one of the first things they did is suspended the guarantee. And in doing that, obviously home deliveries, uh, um, you know, scheduled arrivals lengthen. In walks Bobus because Bobus is an ideal situation where now you push it back into a commercial element, a commercial type delivery, you get better time in transit, you get better reliability because it's just going to move with a, 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 a you know, better environment to make that delivery so therefore you take advantage of that and you can actually then improve your uh, buying experience for your customer so those are all you know key elements to this uh and i don't see this lessening up anytime uh, in the near future i think we're going to have to roll into 2021 the country's going to have to open back up more so so taking uh, taking advantage of bopus now is ideal for the retailers that can do it and do it quickly and do it well. 
And to your point about residential and capacity, it is extremely tight. It's the tightest it's ever been. I mean, really, you have to go back to the strike of 97 at UPS to realize any kind of difficulty in small package network delivery that we're experiencing in today's world. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so let's let's shift a little bit and talk specifically. What does this mean for retailers? So maybe Sachin kick us off. Uh, sure. So, uh, <clears throat> so what does it mean for retailer? I think it's it's the the paramount of this whole process is is tying at at this side, and and what it does is you know it's it's a with the concept it requires many different areas to be looked into right and as i alluded earlier this is very much related to uh, you know the the main success of this program is how good of a customer experience we are setting up right so so if we start with this you know planning like you know how our parking lots are designed the, the retailers parking lots are designed so that customer can quickly come in how your desks or kiosks are set up though people can you know come and and get greeted by the the person and able to you know pick the product what so additional things we can offer to them while they are picking the product example you know like uh, nowadays people go to Kohl's to pick or uh, you know return amazon products and you get a five dollar coupon right and that is kind of incentivizing the customer to you know buy something right so this is like the customer experience so quick turnaround making sure that inventory is available there on time and and you know customer can quickly come in come go and have a good experience now this is the front end. Now, what is happening in the back end is also very important. So, doing proper sales and operations planning, like you know, what kind of sales we are going to get, what what we can afford to risk, and what we cannot afford to risk, right? Uh, we need to have a thorough product strategy. And once we have a thorough product strategy, then we need to look into inventory. Uh, inventory placement is very very key into this whole process, right? Uh, you can you can cover the service level issues by putting too much of inventory, but you are risking, especially around the peak seasons, because you know you put inventory and you you sell some, and then a good amount of inventory is left, and customer is happy, but we are not, right? So that's where it, it comes to design define a good strategy, whether it could be centralized, decentralized, or or some some companies are right now looking into a hybrid strategy uh, to place inventory. Now the last part is is more important is about technology right so it is good to have good customer experience good to have you know good uh, inventory policies but how are we going to make this whole thing as as seamless as possible so uh, having technology where you know as carl said omni channel techno uh, technology infrastructure uh, looking into our transportation policies right uh, in this new world where we we see as an opportunity for small and medium sized uh, suppliers is is if a big retailer is going for a, a BOPE strategy or any kind of online e-commerce strategy, how quickly the signal is getting across to the supplier, right? How they are using their inventories uh, to you know make fulfillment, and then on top is something which is going to emerge is how they are going to handle this from the logistics point of view. So maybe you know traditionally a supplier is being trying to ship LTL or truckload. Uh, to a retailer right but with bopis and the way these retailers are going where you know they don't want to carry any inventory or they want to have less risk in inventory and they want you know small shipments but at the same time at the speed of light uh, people may have to challenge themselves and see 
is LTL still a good policy for us to support our retailer customers, right? Can we explore into parcel? Um, look into like, you know, and, and Todd can add a very good details on that, but high level, you know, can parcel <clears throat> be used for us as, as a plan B, right? It's, it's no longer a game field where we can just go with plan A. So that's where, you know, this retailer thing comes in is to make sure the good customer experience is there. We have the right policies around inventory to make sure, you know, we, we are giving a good, uh, you know, service to the customers. And then comes the technology and the, the fulfillment process. So, so Carl, do you think every retailer needs to have a BOPUS? Um, so I don't think it's a one size fits all, John. Uh, some commodities and some retailers, um, you know, their their skew their skew count, uh, you know, their 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 footprint is such where it just wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be advantageous to them. But I think it applies to a lot more today than what it did this time last year. Okay. Um, you know, when you're talking about big and bulky. That certainly seems to fit the bill, um, but when you're talking about even some of the eaches for clothing or fast-moving consumer goods, uh, I think some of those things absolutely fit the bill. We're seeing retailers with, uh, you know, with click and pick, where they go on, you know, a consumer can go online, fill their shopping cart up, buy it, show up at the store, they load it in the back of the car, and away you go home. You do all your grocery shopping on your lunch break while you're sitting at your desk. Um, this is an this is an iterative flavor of that. So uh, I think you know it's for some it probably doesn't make sense, but certainly for a, a much much larger swath it does, and it's tied to consumer behavior, just the way that consumers are buying stuff now. Um, and it's you know people are people are hesitant to go into the stores, but if you need them in there. How does one do that? Well, if you can tell them that you're minimizing the time they're spending walking the aisles looking for product, it absolutely draws them in. And that's needed in this point in time. But I would also contend that even after uh, this global pandemic goes, you know, is, is kind of uh, the dial is turned out on it. And you know, who knows? And nobody wants to speculate on when that is. One of the things that we know is it doesn't take long to shift consumer behavior. Amazon has proven that to the world. There was a point in time where if you told me that I was gonna buy shoes online, I would have told you that you're crazy. And yet, <laughs> all the shoes I buy, I buy online now. And that, that, that behavior is cemented and we're seeing that in the way that people behave today relative to engaging with their, their chosen retail partners. Um, you know, you were asking Sachin, what does a BOPIS strategy mean to retailers? Well, it means lots of things. It means catering to, uh, to the customer experience in a different way that under a global pandemic, you haven't been able to. It also means that you've got an opportunity to provide a broader SKU platform with the same retail footprint. It also gives you an opportunity to differentiate through client experience. If you have a robust supply chain and the ability to pulse information and pulse that flow of material through in a in a very uh, in a very disciplined way, you can use that as an opportunity to, to differentiate from the competition and delight the customer. Uh, it means that they have to have a comprehensive supply chain strategy that links all the players in their in their their supply chain ecosystem. The ability to the to push that demand signal 
through all the parties upstream to ensure that you're coordinating delivery in a way that supports that end customer experience is a critical component of this. Because if you buy online and you go to pick up in store and it's not there and you've gone out of your way on the way home to get it, chances are you're not gonna make that same dis purchasing decision with that retail partner again. I did it, it didn't work. You're probably gonna get about one shot, maybe two at that. And there's a ton of research in the realm of public information that supports that. So supporting the customer experience is a critical component of that. It also serves to support suppliers as well, because a supplier that has the ability to pulse that material in those in eaches, based on that demand signal in a very efficient and effective way to allow that retailer to support their customer experience is a supplier that's going to gain with that retailer across their network and across that omni-channel distribution strategy. So uh, what does it mean? It means, an, it means an enhanced customer experience and an opportunity to differentiate. And it gives you an opportunity to carry a greater SKU count in, in, a, in the same retail footprint than what you've had before. And consumer behavior is dictating that a larger swath of retailers move in that direction. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've been talking a lot about the retail, retail side of it. Um, but, but Todd, how does this ABOPA strategy affect suppliers? Well, you know, one of the things to think about here is, is, and it was being brought up by Carl, the different buying behavior is going to lead not only to the, the actual buying of the item, it's the returning of the item. Yeah. So and now you're going to look at the supplier that's supplying to the retailer, right? So let's look at the situation where you get a defective product and you're bringing it back in. Now you open up the capability of, of being able to have that uh, engagement with the customer. You can either do several different things. One would be is you bring it into the store and have them return in mass or use small package in an environment to ship it back because it's a defective product straight to the manufacturer. So you bypass the distribution center being back to do the consolidation then and, and save yourself the headache and then just send it straight to the manufacturer, get it off your books. There's a whole lot of different areas to take a look at this. Also having a strategy from BOPUS to the return at the customer's location saying, hey, drop it into the network. It's a single item. We'll accept it back and have a smooth return process back to the retailer or back to the manufacturer in which it was purchased. So it's, it's a, it, it, it can lend itself to be a little complex, but the idea here is if you spend the time and the effort to lay out this plan ahead of time, the success is going to pay for itself, you know, a tenfold just for the sole reason what Carl had mentioned is our ability to hold on to the customer and make that experience received so well that it's repeatable that this is what they start to prefer or what they do is, is they're so comfortable with it that either or is, is, is fine with them. Either they have it delivered to the house or they have it picked up. And if you can drive the customer to the store, what Sasha said earlier is they have the opportunity to walk the aisle if they like to. So, you know, there's a lot of upside to being able to control this and to, to help persuade your customer and your buying experience at the end of the day. And also at the same time, 
um, working with your vendors to fit into that model. And to add to that, John, I think it's it's, it's about a big big importance for uh, the supplier is their execution strategy, right? As I was saying, you know, uh, the retailers are 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 having different expectations from the suppliers now. Uh, you look into Lowe's, you look into Walmart, and all these guys who are trying to compete against Amazon. This is their last winning area, which which you know they can compete against Amazon effect, and you know give a good experience to the customer manage against you know the supply chain um, you know mammoth uh, created by amazon uh, so this is the area where they can they can compete and in order for them to compete they are relying heavily on their supply network now supply network in order to do that they have to look into both into their uh, into their execution which is like i said sales and operations uh, planning inventory planning but on the top of that is logistics right uh, having the product is one thing, but how are we going to take it at a speed and make sure like the, the our customer, which is in this case could be the retailer of the suppliers, are able to receive and execute seamlessly. Uh, that's where, you know, I think it becomes much important for uh, a small supplier or a medium supplier uh, who in these kind of challenges time is, you know, not only, you know, trying to uh, compete against getting the business from the retailers, but also struggling or getting challenges to manage the supply chain costs, right? If this is managed incorrectly, it can cost in a huge amount, right? The, the recovery of that amount would not be easily possible. So, so the, to, to earlier question, from, I think note from um, uh, Carl that, you know, will it be uh, applicable to all the retailers or all, all the suppliers? Uh, uh, the answer is we, we may not uh, we don't know we, uh, though we feel like it will but the bigger thing is you know the things changes right and and consumer makes us change our behavior as as manufacturers or suppliers or retailers the question is are we prepared if we have to switch from you know our traditional method to this method and that will require to make sure okay do we have the right technology do we have the right processes uh, are we well connected with our uh, you know customers downstream that can help us pulse the stream from the end consumer and execute. And you know, that goes right into the point about profitability and making sure that you have control and understanding of exactly what's driving your profit. And this is an example of being able to tie all of not only your items and your inventory, but your cost of transportation and making sure you've got it all linked together. Because at the end of the day, those that can manage it are those that are going to survive and are going to prosper and go on to the next level and into the future. And, you know, having your hand on that pulse is key, especially in the world of COVID, where it's just, the you know, the norm has been just toppled and the new norm is on its way. So, so John, I would actually frame this question uh, or, you know, answer this question a little bit differently, but it builds directly on what, what Todd and Sachin said. So why is it important? I, I think the reason it's important is because the genie's already out of the bottle. I mean, this is this is happening. Whether whether it's important to a supplier or not, this is this is this is consumer behavior. This is the expectation, uh, not just for the end consumer, but for the retailers as well. We 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 already know as a supply chain community, as as consumers ourselves, that this is here and it's not going anywhere. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. So, 
you know, Sachi and Todd both mentioned being ready. Uh, and are and our suppliers ready? And I have a tendency to think of it in terms of the three Bs: velocity, volume, and value. Yep. So you know the velocity of shipments coming out of a manufacturing node, out of a, or out of a distribution node owned by the supplier. Uh, understanding what that looks like and what it needs to be in order to support a different type of demand signal from downstream. The volume of each is coming out. Remember, a lot of the, a lot of these, you know, the, the footprints that are going into retailers either flow through a retailer DC for the large ones, but for the smaller retailers, they're pulsed in carefully in certain days of the week. And you know, that minimum order quantity that comes in fills up the back room for these retailers, big and small, pretty fast. So having the ability to handle the volume of each is coming out of either the manufacturing node or the distribution node is something that has to be considered and thought through. And then the value, as Todd alluded to, uh, is something that if you don't have skew level control of, um, your transportation cost for an each may make that channel pretty unprofitable uh, and it might that profitability might skew for just a few of the, the products in your portfolio. So while you may be wildly profitable, focusing on that, that focus strategy for some of the products in, in that, that SKU portfolio, having that, that, that SKU level profitability control and strong control of supply chain costs in order to service a different type of downstream demand is critically important. And it's important to get control of now because we're heading into re peak retail season. Anybody that's, you know, that's been hasn't been living in a cave knows that and as Todd mentioned that you know parcel uh, the parcel networks are jam full the reason they're jam full is because supplier sentiment and supplier behavior has already changed mm -hmm. driven by the pandemic it's happened believe us these small package carriers do not want to cap shippers they don't want to do that they want as much volume in those networks as they can possibly get. That step in doing that is a significant indicator that a different way of thinking about how, how material flows into those downstream channels is needed, especially when you're talking about protecting customer experience. Customer loyalty is fickle. It just is. And you're only as good as that last retail uh, experience or the last that last purchase experience if you're the supplier and supply chain is becoming a key way to differentiate not just around customer experience but also around profitability and having that control and that connectivity and supporting a bogus environment is absolutely critical so why is it important because it's happening right now and let's face it it caught a lot of us by surprise, even seasoned logistics professionals that watch the freight flow across networks. And we as an organization have the benefit and the privilege of seeing that material flow through data across 700 different suppliers. And that, and that level of chain uh, was even surprising to us. And this is what we do for a living. This is what we go to sleep thinking about and what we wake up thinking about. So this phenomenon isn't even a phenomenon. It's just fact, and it's how customers are engaging in, in, in the buying experience. So why is it important? It's important because people are buying this way today. 
And I think that, Carl, that's a really great segue into kind of our, our, our next topic header of, you know, what do you expect from, you know, your logistics partners? What do they need to do to help you? And, you know, as, as we think about, you know, coming as we came into COVID, we talked a lot about agility. We talked a lot about risk. Um, and a lot of that was involved with supply. You know, did we have inventory? Was our supply going to get cut off? Whether, you know, you're a, a manufacturer that's needing raw material or a retailer that, that's, you know, getting product from overseas. But I think now we've seen, and we've talked a little bit uh, today about it, the risk in uh, transportation capacity and uh, the service levels that are going to be required to support something, you know, BOPUS or, or you know, just generally commerce. And so, you know, kind, kind of anybody, do you think we're going to see kind of a shift to more regional execution? Um, and, you know, depending on logistics partners for, um, you know, more regional warehouses, a little more inventory so you can leverage some of, say, the regional parcel carriers. Well, um, so John, I'll, I'll, I'll address the first part of that question and then we'll talk about the, you know, the tactics in which to support it. So if you break the question down, how does a logistics partner need to position themselves to help? I think, you know, this speaks to how the 3PL industry in logistics, you know, outsourced logistics grew up. We grew up in an environment where we could take a discrete scope of work. I need you to do this thing for me. And then build a solution around that that focused on cost and quality and predictable service and then execute to that scope of work. So tell me what you need me to do, Mr. Customer. Tell me specifically. I'll fill in the blanks based on my experience. I'll share that scope of work back to you with a solution that matches it with the corresponding SLAs and how you can measure my ability to execute to that SOW. What we're seeing in this environment right now and what Accenture now terms as the new never normal era of supply chain, <laughs> which I love, um, it goes down to the root of this question, help. So what should you expect from your logistics partner? Showing up to help. So a logistics partner that seeks to understand what's happening right now and the implications to your business and then what that looks like going forward under several different scenarios. What is the skew count that you're looking at? What are your slow movers? What are your primaries? What do you want to make available? How do you want that customer experience to be? What do you want it to look like? How do you want to ensure that predictable client experience? What help do you need? Do you have retail uh, outlets? that are in rural locations that are difficult to service uh, as opposed to the ones that are in urban or suburban settings? Do you have the vast majority of your product are, are sales tied up in, in a handful of SKUs? Um, so it isn't a one size fits all or tell me what you need uh, situation. What, what, what customers need and what the 3PL provider should be lined up for is to deliver just that help seeking to understand the nature and nuance of the challenge in a very bespoke and personal way 
and understand what we're solving for. And then together we develop the statement of work and the SLAs. Because 3PLs didn't grow up in the, with, with the charge of, hey, get in there and figure out how to help. It was more, tell me what you want me to do. We're pretty smart folks with some supply chain experience. We'll tell you what the solution looks like uh, and, then, and how to measure it. No, it's different today because consumer behavior is rapidly evolving as the business environment continues to change with speed. So I would answer the first part of that question is, folks need a 3PL that first leans in to understand with a mindset to show up and help. Not grow wallet share, not, not share, sell something that's on the shelf that they've deployed for somebody else. We're talking about bespoke, personalized solutions with a mutual understanding of what the challenges are. Once you do that, you can get into the intricacies of how it works with some of the things that you alluded to, John, an interjection of more regional carriers, a, a re-rack of the distribution footprint that puts products closer to the end, the end point of consumption. But as states come up online differently, as demand for products change based on the fact that people are leading different lives right now, certain products and certain SKUs are flying off the shelf with a high, with high velocity, while others that you could, you, you could depend on with a high degree of predictability that we're gonna sell a certain way in certain seasons, those things aren't moving. Nobody's going, nobody's, nobody's buying beach umbrellas to go to the beach, my friend. Uh, but a lot of people are buying beer koozies to drink in the backyard. So <laughs> understanding right alongside their customers in the data, understanding the nuances, showing up to help, that's what should be expected first and foremost. And I'll turn it over to Sachin and to Todd to talk about the, the intricacies and the mechanics of, of how that helps evolves. Yeah, so, so as it goes to Sachin on that, you know, maybe maybe kick that off, Sachin, with how many companies do you know that, that you've engaged with that said, I have enough analytical support, I don't need you to crunch numbers for me? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's a very good question, John. So I always, uh, you know, answer this question when I'm, I'm talking to clients uh, on in my previous organizations, you know, is, you know, having tools or technology is one thing which, you know, companies are getting to sell, uh, you know, those products through different technology vendors. But having people who can understand the tool and, you know, get it to the right point where the tools and technologies are giving you a good ROI is important. People who understand the the business is also important, right? Um, as we talk about transportation, if, if we talk in high terms, you know, it is like, hey, I need to move product from point A to point B. So there are like four or five variables and, you know, hey, I, I can do it. Yes, everyone can do it. But when, when it comes to, you know, having a right partner with you is critical because those partners, if they have the right knowledge, they can show you things which you cannot see, right? Uh, example, like, you know, in, in parcel or in LTL world, uh, if you are dealing with those carriers by, by yourself, uh, the 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 tariffs itself are complex. The charges are unexplainable, and then on top of that, it directly or indirectly impacts your SLAs, right? Uh, one example, like we were uh, we were working in one client uh, for Walmart, uh, 
where you know the the client is shipping the product and the carrier is doing right by you know delivering the product ahead of time right but that is not acceptable by by the uh, by the end customer so uh, a good partner who understand all these things and and give you a heads up well in ahead of time helps you to build that you know great reputation in your supply chain with your customers you know and that's a it goes leads right into the point that you were talking about uh, regional parcel carriers it goes hand in hand with doing the hard analytics doing the heavy pick and axe work and a lot of times the uh, customers don't have that extended transportation partner or that particular expertise and they have to look out for outside interests to help them and guide them navigate these waters and that's where a company like us TI goes in and helps our customers I always look at it in this especially in this BOPUS kind of arena is is where we were we're if you can think of the ship coming into port, you take out the tugboat with the pilot on it, and the pilot gets on, and the pilot then navigates the boat in. They're not there for the long term, but they're there for a very specific reason, to bring them in to port so that they can unload the cargo, right? And that's kind of what we are doing in that we help go in, we help them and guide them in this area because this is that last mile, this is that last engagement with the customer and helping them transition that and lay that plan out and help them navigate those waters. And uh, many times they don't have the experience and they need that experience and where we come in, we have that experience. Yeah. And, and, and that experience, you know, not only the, the team we have, it's not only just transportation professionals, right? We come up with a way, way, you know, very wide background of things where when we are looking into our customer supply chain, we are looking more than transportation, right? We uh, our strategy is to go sit with the client, understand their you know supply chain, do value stream mapping, understand where the opportunity exists, right? Uh, transportation is the last leg of the supply chain, right? When everything bad has happened, this is just going to show the symptoms. Uh, so taking that holistic approach and having a team who understands. Uh, with you know all the vast experience and the technology and the expertise we have uh, adds a great value. Yeah, thanks, Sachin. Now, I know we're, we're kind of starting to get toward the end of our time, and, and I'm getting the high sign from Michael that we've got some questions. So I'll, I'll kick it over to him to share some with the uh, the panel. Thanks, John. A lot of great information from that panel. Remind our audience that uh, you can submit questions over in the questions panel of the GoToWebinar viewers. Send those in and we'll be certain to ask those to our subject matter experts here in the time remaining. I'll go ahead and throw some of those out there already, guys. Um, the first of those, and we touched on this very early in the conversation, um, but is, is this BOPUS buy online, pick up and store strategy just for large retailers with, with big footprints, or can smaller retailers and, and businesses of different sizes also create a plan that will help them capitalize on, on growing demand? No, absolutely. I think that this is a plan that you have to take a look at it, even if you have 40 or 50 stores. I think that this is ideal because those are the customers that are typically going to be your most loyal customer, and it would be ideal to be able to give them that capability, that opportunity to enjoy, really, to be able to, in this COVID time, do that quick pickup, right? Stop in, get it. Somebody's already picked it. Somebody's already got it ready to go, and you go in 
and it's right there for you. Even if it's an area that uh, where that two or three days it has to go by before the order is ready because it's a out of stock inventory, but it's being brought to the location by an LTO or a small package shipment. Uh, that it, it's it's ideal for them to have that capability. You still have your online shipper, you still have your consumer that's going to want it to deliver to the home, but it would be wonderful to be able to have that 40, 50 store type of customer have a same BOPUS plan in place and execution to, you know, to support that customer. And that's ideal. We have done that with several of our smaller customers and it's worked extremely well. Yeah, I, I would, yeah. Uh, I would, I would build on that, uh, Michael, uh, what Todd had said, you know, with partnering with the right supply chain partner and leveraging their technology that provides that level of visibility on uh, shipment, uh, shipment at rest and shipment in motion and the critical milestones relative to delivery to that order allows the smaller retailers to compete from a user experience or a customer experience perspective with the big box retailers that have really sophisticated distribution networks and the technology platforms that provide that level of insight into how things are going. So I would contend that, you know, a strong strategy with the right type of partnership provides uh, the smaller retailers that don't have the capital sunk into a really robust and digitally integrated uh, supply chain network to provide that same level of experience that one could get from some of those larger retail, uh, those retail uh, 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 outlets. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I think, you know, you talked earlier, Carl, about the omni-channel, and it, it's really all about, you know, customers getting what they want, when they want it, how they want it. Um, but who would have ever guessed that, that we would all of a sudden assign certain stores as essential or non-essential as to whether you could let people in your door. So you, you've got to be prepared with options and BOPUS being one really easy option because you're using that inventory that's already right there um, yeah. to, to supply that consumer demand. Yeah, and I, again, I think through that partnership, now you're looking at a restock versus reposition of inventory. So right. one, of the, one of the things that, that really drives down that lowest landed cost per delivered unit or purchased unit is the ability to understand where inventory is. John mentioned essential and non-essential stores. Uh, and rather than run out, run a stock out out of a distribution hub or at that, that essential store, you've got the ability to look at that inventory footprint across the, that store network and pull it out in a, in a pick sequence and then use that small package or, or ground transportation network to move it as cheaply and, and efficiently as possible with the right sort of technology backbone to, again, keep the end client informed on how things are moving. And, you know, in an, in an environment, in a, in a, at this day and time, ready access to that information, to see it, is almost as good to a, uh, to a, a, a customer as being able to put their hands on it. Great information. Here's another quick one we'll get to for the top of the hour. I think it may relate a little bit to warehousing, but you know, is it possible for some of these smaller businesses to create that BOPUS fulfillment strategy without really investing in infrastructure? How does how does warehousing play into that, Sashin? Yeah, so that's a good question, Michael, because uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, warehousing or positioning your of your inventory is very critical, right? And as John and, and Todd mentioned earlier, you know, like, Transportation is is getting uh, transportation capacity is getting constrained, but so is warehousing, right? 
and warehousing is actually more complex because you know the way the products are getting handled and and the investment required is is huge uh, so picking up the right partners you know who have the capabilities who can you know handle your products on a transactional basis rather than you know a capital investment basis is important now now you know so you you're you're looking for a warehouse now the critical part thing the other critical part is where that warehouse should be located right what should be the kind of the size what kind of flows we are estimating so so kind of you know making a digital supply chain of your you know business strategy evaluating it running through the risk scenarios and understanding hey will this strategy work now what will happen if you know some something happens let's say you know the port of california go through some embargo or something how will it impact our business uh, so so determining these locations and putting the right partners uh, in place is critical and that's where you know in uh, in our team we have experts who have you know tons of experience of working with you know different warehousing partners understanding different warehousing uh, you know technologies can bridge this whole thing right so it's we we this thing cannot be looked in a siloed approach like hey i can build a transportation solution or i can build a warehousing solution the whole supply chain solution has to be well orchestrated and designed so warehousing is critical and you know looking around different factors around that is also very important so so michael just to build on on what sachin said you know it's it can be complicated but we like to think that a good 3pl partner like ti is the is the the supply chain equivalent of the easy button so we we're we're supply chain folks this is all we do we can act as the conductor of the orchestra uh, for a, a client's supply chain. We don't have to play first chair violin. We don't have to run the warehouse. We know the musicians that know how to play that instrument and play it well. We know what costs should be assigned to that. We know how to connect from a systems perspective, what SLAs to set up, and if necessary, how to set that warehouse uh, engagement up in either a pay by the drink in a multi-client environment or a dedicated large box distribution center uh, that's in the optimal location based on what shifting demand looks like. So uh, I would, you know, when we look at a lot of the customers in the TI portfolio, they don't have large uh, supply chain teams. They don't have access to some of the, the modeling tools that Sachin and John and Todd team have access to. So we see ourselves uh, and good, good logistics providers see themselves as the, or the conductor of the orchestra, that lead logistics provider that can look at what the problem is and make sure that we've assembled the right musicians in the orchestra pit to play the right music for the moment. So again, the easy button is kind of a, is a colloquialism, but that's exactly what we show up to do. And that looks like a great point to conclude our conversation today. For the rest of the folks who've asked questions, we'll reach out and make a contact directly with you to answer those questions um, directly from our subject uh, matter experts. Again, thank you to our panelists for sharing a lot of great insight for us today. Thanks, John, Carl, Todd, and Sachin. Thank you. For more information or or to reach out to our supply chain masters, use the contact information on the screen. You can also visit us online at our website as transportationinsight.com. That's where you can access more about our solutions, our blogs, our resource guides are there. That includes our resource guide about this very topic, the BOPIS revolution, navigating the new never normal. It of course focuses on a lot of the strategies we've discussed today.
Whether your business is large or small, Transportation Insight has supply chain solutions that can help you control cost, manage risk, and improve customer experience. On behalf of our panelists and Transportation Insight, thank you for joining our broadcast. May you master the remainder of your day.